You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about Fringe. Yes, we're going back into our archives and pulling out another pre-COVID episode. We're still not done with these. We still have a few more to do. And this is a really good one because this is one where we weren't talking about a particular season of a show or a movie or anything like that. We're talking about the whole show. So if you're a fan of Fringe and you want to hear somebody talk about all five seasons of the show, then we're doing that for you. And if you've never seen Fringe before, we're going to get into some spoilers. But if you don't mind spoilers, maybe we'll get you interested in checking the show out. So hopefully that'll work for you as well. But yeah, I just wanted to let you know, this is one that was recorded in 2019, although late 2019, so there might be some dated references. We're definitely talking in a pre-pandemic world. And sadly, it's also the last episode that we had featuring Jennifer Harshorn before she decided not to do podcasting anymore. So kind of a send off to Jen and Jen, if you're listening. Thank you for all your contributions to the 42 cast. You were quite prolific in our early days on the episode. So thank you for joining us and hope you're doing well in all your future endeavors. But that's probably about it for me nattering on before we talk about the show itself. So now let's join the episode already in progress. Let's meet our cast for this week. And first up, we have a bit of a treat. She's not on many episodes. Uh, she, she only comes at very, very rare occasions. That is my lady wife, Beth. How are you doing, Beth? I'm starting to get tan. I'm out in the sunlight. Hi. <laughs> I'm out of the basement. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what's been going on for you in the past, I don't know, eight or nine months since you were on the show? <laughs> <laughs> I broke my ankle. Yeah, so, how'd you manage that? Well, you see... <laughs> I forgot how gravity works on planet Earth. And I have to specify on planet Earth because we were at the playground with the kids and um, I was doing this spinny thing for them. I was spinning this contraption where you know they're going they're sitting on it, they're going, Wee, this is fun and I'm spinning it around and I'm like, Okay, I'm about to puke. I gotta let go. <laughs> so I let go and I think I'm gonna run off the momentum like you know, the slingshot maneuver in space, because I watched so many Novas with you. <laughs> yeah. That's not how it went down, literally. I didn't run straight. I went sideways. I fell down. My ankle turned in sideways, and I fell across it. And I actually heard the crack internally through my skeleton system. <gasps> Yikes. And I was like, yeah, I'm not getting up. Go get daddy! <laughs> yep. Yeah, so... That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Had to have surgery and everything. Mm. And I'm still using a cane. And this was, oh, man, almost two and a half months ago now. 
Yeah, yeah. So you just had an MRI because they're not sure why things aren't getting better. So. Yeah, that was awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yay. <laughs> so uh, anything, anything good going on? Yeah. Um, so despite all of that putting me back uh, five weeks worth of costume work, it all comes back to cosplay with me. You know this. Um, we still went to Dragon Con. And I still got up on stage with my best friend Jane, and we performed Love is an Open Door from Frozen. <gasps> and I danced. I did it. It was a huge milestone. I did it. And I was, I was Hans. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the first time I was ever a guy, and that was an eye-opener, really. It was really weird. Yeah. I'll say. He couldn't look at me. I couldn't look at you. He no, look at me no, at all. it was too weird. Yeah. <laughs> but one person actually came up to me and said, "I thought you were a guy until you opened your mouth." <laughs> I was like, "Are you serious right now?" To be fair, you've gotten those comments with Sailor Moon cosplay. Oh, don't you dare! Don't start. <laughs> well, that was because I opened my mouth. Uh, right. Yeah. That's, that's that's true. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Just a shocking reversal. Right. <laughs> I still can't believe the gall of that person. Oh, it's like, do you see these boobs? <laughs> I'm looking down and I'm just like, what's what's wrong with your eyes? <laughs> oh, man. But the one time I strap them down and I pull it off and it's awesome. <laughs> it's great. So, so uh... And, and and you've been watching some cool stuff recently, too, right? Yep, not much else I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, oh. so uh, we've been watching uh, Kage no Gundan Season 3. That Shadow Warriors to you English people. Yeah. <laughs> Get with it. Um, we've been watching a lot of um, Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're going to have to fill me in because pain medication is a glorious Lone thing. Wolf and Cub? Yes. We finished Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We, we've picked up anime again, which we haven't watched in oh, like five oh, years. Oh, oh, oh. Actually, that's apropos because Angie is on this one. Yeah. What are we watching? We finished El Hazard. Yeah, and then we and went into... And now we're doing um, Nadesco. Yeah, Nadesco. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, we're, we're actually watching a lot of stuff right now, which is nice, because, like, all the TV shows are on break right now, so uh, it gives us a chance to actually watch a lot of things that, during the TV season, it's just like, crap, we're just having a hard time keeping up with all the shows as they come on, and, uh, you know, right now, until October, really, there's nothing really coming back. And the last thing I remember what's watching is us watching together was Kim and Good or Orange Road. Which was oh, forever ago. Oh, no, no, no. We've watched stuff. We watched anime since then. I know. I mean, we, we've watched through Crystal, Sailor Moon Crystal and everything, but yeah. the only <laughs> new thing I can remember clearly sure. was Kim and Go to Orange Road, which I know isn't right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pain medication. <laughs> it's so fun. So, just really quick, because I know we got to move on. What have you been thinking? Because we're watching the Godzilla movies in chronological order, so what, what, what have you you know, liked the Godzilla movies. I really liked the original. Um, there was something truly and deeply terrifying about that, mm -hmm. where it's, you don't know why he's there, 
until, you know, they reveal, like, oh, this thing exists because of the radiation from the bomb and the war and all this. Mm-hmm. And they, there's a, a scene where they're going through the hospital and they're doing, like, the radiation tests on people. And you see the doctor testing this child. And he looks at the parents and just shakes his head. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. And you never see anything like that ever again. Because Godzilla shoots radiation from his mouth. His whole existence is radiation. I, 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 but that's never brought up, like, almost ever again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just say, though, um, and the whole reason I'm bringing this up is because I want to do a Godzilla episode eventually. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, Hedorah was the the one we just recently watched, which, uh, again, for you English people, that's Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Oh. But um, <laughs> Hedorah was... Um, was uh, 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 they did that same sort of terrifying thing of the pollution monster that yeah. kills people, and you see the women and the children dying and stuff like that. But otherwise, yeah. it's never been like that again. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, all right, all right. Well, no, I was just, I just, I was just curious. Okay. And also wanted to let people know that you know yeah. there was going to be a Godzilla and, and episode baby eventually. Godzilla, I came up with it my own. Oh God, no, not son of Godzilla. <laughs> uh. Because uh, the official name is Minila, yeah. and I before I knew that I I call him Bakanbo, <laughs> which is basically idiot baby. <laughs> <laughs> I just chopped two words together and said, "You're an idiot. I hate you." Okay. All right. Well, Beth. Yeah. It's good to have you on the show. It's great to be back. All right. All right. So next up. Uh, someone who we used to hear from a lot because she's been super busy lately. We haven't heard from so much so uh, lately. Uh, she is our MCU expert, and that is Jen. How are you doing, Jen? I am doing excellent, sir. And uh, what's been going on for you lately? Well, I, uh, as as you know, I am making my way slowly but surely through a uh, a PhD in English, mm-hmm. and I have uh, finished um, basically all of my classes. Uh, I am now at the the point of uh, studying for the wicked big test, mm-hmm. and then after that, writing the wicked big paper that's actually like book sized. But uh, so so it's it's very weird to not be going to class two nights a week, but. But uh, I'm I'm keeping myself very very busy with reading and writing and things like that. All right, very cool. Um, so um, so yeah, what what uh, how how I'm, I don't even know because I never got <laughs> up to that stage. But how is the um, or so what is like the, the the timing on that or is it just variable? As far as it, how long it's it's, it's completely variable. Okay. I mean, it really depends on what you're you know what what your degree is in, what subject it's in, what, what school you're at, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, some people blow through a PhD in like three or four years. Uh, a lot of people take seven. Some people take 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much on track to do it in about five or six, I think. So okay. five or six more from what you've done or five, no, or six no, no, five or six total. Oh, okay. like, I'm, I'm in my, my, uh, third going into my fourth year oh, okay so, yeah i was asking from here how much more do you have to yeah. do so yeah okay Cu- couple more years okay well that's good at least so you yep. see you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel yep and i'm actually getting to uh occasionally see a movie or like mm. watch something like i i'm so behind on all my tv i just caught up on um the third season of the handmaid's tale mm. and whew, <laughs> That's dark stuff. <laughs> and that's, that's coming from me. <laughs> right, right. No. So, all right. Well, that's very cool. That's good that you're getting to enjoy yourself a little bit. Um, yep. 
All right. So uh, anything else that you want to talk about? Um, I'm, I'm sure it will be far in the rearview mirror by the time that this airs, but uh, this weekend I'm going to be guesting at Monsterama, mm. and um, I, we've got some super fun panels, including one on monster musicals that I'm so excited about. <laughs> monster musicals? I yeah. didn't even know that those were a thing. Well, if if you think about it, we, we, we got to talking about it, and you know, you've, you've got Little Shop of Horrors, oh, of course, okay, being... Sure. And, uh, you know, um, Jekyll and Hyde, and even Phantom of the Opera. Mm. Oh, okay, so if you count that, okay, okay. Yeah, and and Bat Boy, and, you know, all uh, Evil Dead, all kinds of things like that, so. (laughs) How about parody ones, like Dracula the Musical from Forgetting Sarah Marshall? I'm not familiar with that one, but it would certainly apply. (laughs) All right. Well, cool deal. And it is great to have you back on the show, Jen. Why, thank you. And finally, the whole reason that we're having this podcast in the first place, she is a fan of Nadesco and a huge fan of Fringe. And that is my buddy, Angie. How are you doing, Angie? I'm doing very well. I took the opportunity to attempt my third rewatch of this show. Um, I did not give myself enough time, so I got through most of season four before we started recording today. <laughs> right, didn't you just say you only had like 20 more minutes of the final episode of season four? Yeah, I really debated seeing if we could delay for half an hour, okay. but... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, yeah, I mean, season five, eh, you know. <laughs> it's all, it's almost a different show, so, you the, know. The important stuff is, is in the first four seasons. Yeah, okay. Um... But yeah, so uh, in case people uh, don't know, I think I probably brought it up in the Black uh, Orphan Black episode, but Angie and I had a bet a long time ago, and she lost the bet. But how she's decided to pay me back for the bet is in DVDs. So every once in a while, she'll be like, here's a series that you need to watch, and suddenly I will get a DVD set in the mail. So that is how, <laughs> that is how I watched Fringe, was I got the complete series DVD set of Fringe. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that was... Uh, that was uh, an interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. Uh, Orphan Black is another one, and, um, and um, Sarah Connor Chronicles is another mm. one that Angie turned me on to. So all really good shows. So you have good taste, Angie. I do. Also Kings. So you can say that you were a fan of Sebastian Stan before he was the Winter Soldier. <laughs> and, um, oh, I was going to say Nadeska, but you didn't turn me on to Nadeska. I mean, you didn't get me the DVDs, but it was somebody else got me to watch the first few episodes of Nadesco, but you helped me finish the series. So Yeah, yeah. I was broke when I was watching Nadesco. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, so uh, how have things been going for you, Angie? Um, Since last week. Excellent. Yeah, Yeah, who knows? These are all... See, what the challenge I want from the listeners is uh, see if you can ever put the recordings in chronological order, because that would be awesome. (laughs) Because these get released... (laughs) Get to it. I'm just curious if anyone could ever put that puzzle... <laughs> together. Well, the ones I'm on should be easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, sure. <laughs> but I mean, every episode, like, could you put it in chronological order? But, um, yeah, so. Good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> but so nothing exciting and life changing has happened in a week, Angie? 
I mean, well, I don't know how much world crossing you want because I'm also a gigantic true crime nerd. Mm. Um, so in the past week, I've actually done a lot of like true crime stuff. I went to a taping of a podcast and um, all that sort of thing, but nothing really like genre related. Yeah, no, no. Other other podcasts don't exist here. <laughs> all right well uh it's good to have you back on the show angie okay glad to be back all right so next up it is our five minute controversy and for those who are new to the show that's just a little something where we talk about something that's in the geekosphere that people are debating right now and we just sort of give our opinion on it so it gives you a little bit of an insight into things that we think and uh you know isn't on the topic at hand and also gives us a chance to loosen up a little bit and this time i wanted to talk about um uh, the news that Kevin Feige is going to produce a Star Wars movie uh, mm. for Disney. And now a lot of discussion, a lot of speculation has been swirling around that. People are combining it with the whole thing where Sony was saying that the reason that Spider-Man, or one of the reasons why Spider-Man is out of the MCU is that Feige was too busy to be the liaison between Marvel and Sony. And, you know, uh, so a lot of people are saying now that Kevin Feige is probably moving over to Star Wars. So my question's twofold question. Do you think there's any truth to those rumors? And regardless of that, do you feel that it would be a good thing for Kevin Feige to move from Marvel to Star Wars? Um, so, Jen, why don't we start with you on this one? <sighs> okay, so he has done something absolutely amazing with the MCU. Like, like you know industry changing the the way that he has pulled everything together and pretty much everybody that that I have ever heard lays a huge amount of it at his feet mm -hmm. you know what whether it's picking the right people or you know just making the right choices so he's he's obviously got an amazing gift for this i mean they're we keep waiting for that that one MCU movie that's going to be really terrible, and it right. keeps not showing up. Right. You know, so. Um, oh, so oh, do you know? I just saw a bunch of people posting the other day about how Eternals was going to be the MCU's first big flop, and I'm like, God, people, have you not learned your lesson yet? Yeah, we said that about Ant Man. They said that about Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. I, yeah, whatever. I, I'm I'm over it. But um, right. I I think that it would. It would really be a shame if if the MCU loses him because mm. I don't know, you know, I've, I've read stuff about, oh, he's been grooming someone to take over and stuff, but it would, it would really be a major blow to the MCU if they lose him. However, that the, the thing that you mentioned with Sony saying we're out because we can't work with, with Kevin Feige, that that does line up with with this as as being um as it, it makes sense if if he is moving on to star wars and i also know that disney is you know not happy with with how things are going for for star wars in in a in a in a you know overarching sense mm -hmm. specifically they're incredibly unhappy and they just fired their their head of uh of um parks entertainment i mm -hmm. think um, over over the way that Galaxy's Edge is just not performing, mm -hmm. um, 
and they've they've obviously put a huge amount of money and effort into that and i'm i'm really looking forward to it i i cannot wait until i have space in my schedule to go down and and see it and especially mm. to see their larp hotel which <laughs> is, a, is a whole other thing right. um, but uh I, I think that, that Disney is is worried about the franchise and where it goes after this next movie, and they want somebody who has vision and somebody who can take on something that is really huge and, you know, really, really take command of it and get control of it and do something amazing with it. And Kevin Feige's the right person for that job. Mm-hmm. So... Um, as as much as I don't want to lose him off of the MCU, I think that he has he has put uh, the the ship on a good course. He is you know he's done everything that he can in terms of of giving them a solid foundation to build off of. And if he goes off to Star Wars land for a year or ten years or whatever, I'm pretty sure the MCU MCU is still going to be going by the time he gets he gets finished with it. Mm. Yeah, he's certainly got some momentum going behind it. Put some wind, put quite a bit of wind in the sails for the MCU. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, so, Angie, what are your thoughts on all this? Um, do I think I, I agree with Jen? Although I also think that there's something to be said for quitting while you're ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I haven't seen any real evidence of this, but. You know, he created um, this first phase of um, the MCU. And it was very cohesive. It was really amazing. It may be that it's time to take a step back um, before the quality starts to suffer, and he may recognize that himself. I don't know if we know, I don't, um, whether this was something he pushed for or whether this was something pitched to him um, to do. But I could definitely see wanting to say, like, okay, I, you know, I put my vision out there and I want to take a step back while I'm still on top. Mm-hmm. And I have some other stories to tell. Um, so, it, you know, it could be a good thing. It could be that he recognized, you know, it was time for someone else in the MCU and that could be good for the MCU. I think it's a win-win for the Star Wars franchise, though. If anybody mm-hmm. can put a cohesive set of stories together um it, it, it you know he's he will be great for that so i can't see how this is anything but you know a, a great thing for the star wars franchise i'm up in the air on whether it's bad for the mcu mm. yeah i mean well there's certainly something to be said for different people coming in and, and putting their own visions on something also so not even just from the creator standpoint of you know i want to move on before you know i become you know like i'm the problem but also from the standpoint of just for the franchise you know having some new blood and injecting new ideas from somebody else's you know is good also uh in general not every particular case but <laughs> um so beth She's giving me a look. <laughs> you don't pay attention to behind-the-scenes stuff at all. No, I don't. But you know Star Wars. Yes. You've seen the movies, the recent movies. Yes. You've seen the MCU movies. Yes. Okay. So Kevin Feige is like the, the no. showrunner <laughs> of the MCU movies. Okay. Okay. So rumor so i'm not even gonna have you comment on the whether or not you think he actually is moving because you obviously haven't been paying attention to that teach me sensei do you (laughs) do you think it would be good for 
him to move from Marvel to start? Like, how have you felt about the movies, and do you feel like that would be a good creative thing for him to move from one to the other? I think Star Wars could certainly use a little help. Okay. All right. Well, no, that's good, you know, and so you, you've enjoyed so the Marvel movies, right? There's my professional opinion. Right. <laughs> All right, so, so in what way does Star Wars need help? Uh, it just hasn't been as gripping as it sure. was in the past. Okay. Um, I mean, the, the new trilogy, air quotes, has been okay. Okay. Um, like, the side stories have just been kind of like, eh, to me. Mm. I mean, thank God they're not prequel quality. But it's right, like, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Everything that's come out in the last few years has been way better than the prequels, yes. Right, but it's... We, we, we tend to hold Star Wars to such a high standard mm -hmm. because of the original trilogies that... Why did I put a plural on that? <laughs> yeah, the original trilogy. Original trilogy. Yeah. That I, I feel like it's just not living up to that legend. And it's, it's hard to, but I think if we got someone on there who is as successful as... He, as Feige. That guy. Um, <laughs> then maybe they got a shot. Right, because you would say that the Marvel movies have been consistently good, right? Yes. Okay. So yeah, so that's your opinion. You think... Okay. Now, do you think it would be harmful to Marvel, or what do you think about, about that? Like, I think they're doing okay on their own. Okay. I, I think that that ship has gotten a lot of good helmsman my analogy is falling apart it's really terrible okay. but i think they have a lot of people on the staff i think who already know what they're doing mm. whereas i think the star wars people need a little bit of training i suppose yeah a little bit of help yeah okay yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm coming at this from, too, is that, you know, yeah, is it potentially a bad thing for Marvel? Sure, but is Marvel doing okay? Yeah, you know, and the fact of the matter is there's evidence to say because Feige was taking, um, you know, one of his one of his people with him to all the interviews recently. It seems like he's trying to, you know, get that person, you know, you know, basically shadowing him to do the stuff that he does. So he's he's handling the transition. But this is indeed a transition process. He's handling it in the correct way to to groom someone to hand it off to. So I think, and and and, and you know, as far as my suspicions are concerned, I I kind of think that this does make the Sony thing make sense where it didn't really before. And um, you know, I think the fact that they only announced two more years worth of movies also kind of lends to that, that these might be the only ones, you know, like Feige is transitioning out, so these are the ones that he's going to oversee, and starting in 2022, it's going to be the next person, so that person's probably going to make the announcements for those movies. So, that's my suspicion on this, and yeah, I think that having him move over to Star Wars would be helpful, because while I've enjoyed the, the recent output, I do feel like Abrams and Ryan Johnson, it feels like it's like two people trying to co-write a story, and Angie knows about this, because we used to be on a on a, on a text-based RPG together, where one person writes something, and then the next person doesn't like what they wrote, so they try to yeah. retcon it, and it's immediately. like... Right, yes. Immediately. Right, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that never happened in the SMRPG, did it, Angie? <laughs> so, um, that's what it felt like to me watching it, and while I liked both movies, the fact that they weren't really cohesive 
did hurt them both. Whereas I feel like if Abrams got to do a whole trilogy by himself, or Johnson got to do a whole trilogy by himself, that would have been stronger you know, overall. Um, so anyway, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I think Feige would bring a much needed creative oversight to the thing. Because he understands that good good movies come from good stories. He's said that enough times about Marvel and about how the story needs to be the center of it. And we know that Disney has aspirations where they want a Star Wars movie every year. And because of how these movies have performed to their expectations, you know, there might be some years where they don't have Star Wars movies in the near future, but I think they want to get to that point. Um, so I think that Feige is probably the right guy to get that in place so that they can do that and have them all perform well. Oh, I just thought of something else. Is, isn't... Um... Isn't um, Favreau doing The Mandalorian? Yes. That makes sense then. Mm-hmm. That, that he would be, you know, carrying over um, that, that some of the same directors and things like that. Well, yeah, and it's also true that um, Feige has been on the record before in interviews as being a huge Star Wars fan. He talked sure. about playing with the toys, like, well past yep. the age that, you know, most kids were and stuff like that. So, again, you know... It lends credence to this idea that, yeah, he was probably eyeing Star Wars, was probably, hey, Disney, you know, <laughs> I can I can turn this thing around for you. So, not, not and then here's the thing, uh, I, I'm going to tangent just for a second, none of the Star Wars movies have flopped, and the idea that Star Wars needs to turn around is only because we live in this age where everything's got to be a super-duper blockbuster. So, it, it, in some ways, it feels kind of wrong to say he needs to turn around, but at the same time, it's not making the money that, you know, I think Disney feels there's potential for, so um, that's that's what he could bring to them, you know, most likely. So, yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement. Um... So, again, I failed at my five-minute controversy to create real controversy, but oh well. It was fun talking about it. Um, so, uh, Controversial but, to other people. We're just telling them the right answer. That's, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. There you go. But, um, I contributed! Woo! <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, before we move on to talking about Fringe, let's pause for a moment for a promo from another five podcast. Ask yourself, is the Flopcast the right podcast for you? Do you have trouble picking a favorite Weird Al song, Karate Kid sequel, or Justice League Detroit member? Are you obsessed with Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch, Vicky the Captain's daughter from the Love Boat, or Vicky the Robot from Small Wonder? Do you think Cindy Lauper's We Are the World solo is the most important event in history? You have half an hour a week for something completely stupid. Then the Flopcast might be the right podcast for you. We're on the ESO Network and at Flopcast.net. And we're back. And so, like we said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about Fringe. Um, which is a show that um, I think debuted in 2008. I probably should have looked that up, but whatever. It's been off the air for a while, um, and it's a show that I completely missed because those were dark days uh, for me uh, back when that show came out. Um, I was working like 70, 80 hour weeks, and I didn't really watch any TV. In fact, if you remember, Beth, the main thing I was doing for fun when I came home was playing the original Mega Man. Yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, that was that that was that's nostalgic. But anyway, um, so um, you know that's a you know it's a it's a show that Angie uh, had me watch, and I was really impressed with it. So. Um, Let's just um, get overall thoughts and impressions of the show as a whole before we dive into some of the specifics. So, um, Beth, why don't we start with you on that one? Okay. <laughs> um, well, Fringe was a show that I... It took a, an approach that I had never really seen a show do before. Um, and by approach, I mean, like, just a topic, uh, a concept um, of just everything is weird and we got to figure out why mm. and i i just really like that because it's it's like a mystery every time mm-hmm. but it was the first few episodes were really hard for me because they were just really gruesome oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you almost stopped watching after the first one yeah yeah so it, it got to the point where i was like okay i need you to pre-watch this scene for me and tell me if i can come <laughs> back in the room it's it, it was just rough but then they i think they kind of toned it down a little bit later mm. on they realized what they were doing and they're like yeah let's not have everyone's face melt off in the first you know five minutes of the episode maybe that's a good thing yeah <laughs> but uh, i like the characters a lot how they played off each other there was a lot of character growth throughout the entire show um just all in all i really really enjoyed it okay um Jen, what are your overall thoughts on Fringe? So Fringe was was one of those shows that I started watching it and was I, I've, I've joked about this on social media a lot, but it's like, oh, it's a blonde girl with a ponytail who's in law enforcement and her, you know, quirky brown haired male sidekick who is does things in a kind of off the books and unconventional way so it's basically like angel and like <laughs> for, forever night and castle and like freaking eight million other uh uh genre and genre adjacent shows so i i was i was not really impressed it was like well okay this is this is sort of like x-files but you know, then then there was the oh, I'm I'm so upset over the death of my partner, which also happens in like half of the the other series with a blonde ponytail policewoman who, blah blah blah, and I was I was just not really into it, mm. and um, I bailed halfway through the the first season, mm. and um, I I was not planning on going back to it until um, I forget. Forget who it was. Um, somebody said season two starting. You you have to watch it. And I'm like, ah, I'm not, I'm not really. And there, actually, I think season two had started. It was a few episodes in, and uh, I was like, well, I don't know. And they're like, there's this surprise with Peter, and and you'll you'll know it when you see it, and you will be hooked. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And sure enough, when 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 you figure out that Peter's from the other world, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm in. I'm in. Mm. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Cool. Angie, what what were your sort of overall thoughts about Fringe? Um, so Fringe is one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite show, actually. I'll just... Uh, Fringe is probably my favorite show ever. Um, I have to admit, though, I, uh, I, lo- I just stopped watching it in the first season. I watched the pilot with um, uh, my then roommate, who was really excited about it, or I may have missed it altogether. 
Um, it held my interest for a couple of episodes, and then I just kind of forgot about it hmm. um, until um, basically they started introducing the concept of the other universe, and then I went back and watched it, and I was hooked, and I watched it religiously every week, um, which is unusual for me. Um, even back in 2008, which is when it aired, by the way. Um, That's what I said. <laughs> I find it so interesting that Jen found it a little derivative because to me, the character of Olivia Dunham was so wonderful and so lovely in that we have a character who doesn't wear a lot of makeup, who wears sensible shoes, who spends most of her time actually chasing bad guys down, who saves herself who is a total professional in a lot of ways that I don't think even to this day are really shown on television. Like I, I don't think I ever saw her in stilettos the entire time. I think I can remember one episode where she wore actual heels. Um, so that was so unique to me um, that uh, just in, in its portrayal that I just fell in love with her and I loved her and I kind of, enjoyed telling all the haters to suck it when it turned out that she wasn't a bad actress. She was putting on an affectation for a reason in the first season. So, um, yeah, I, I love this show and I'm super excited to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Cause you, you, you mentioned quite a few times about how we're going to do an episode about this without me even saying anything. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, um, I really enjoyed fringe. Um, I do feel like the quality um, of the series um, kind of dips in the last couple of seasons, um, but overall, I do like. Uh, I mean, the characters I think are the central thing of the show, and that's that's the secret for any show because, like, I watched ten seasons of Stargate SG One, and only about seven of them were really watchable. But because <laughs> I loved the characters, I, I I went for those final three seasons that were oh so bad, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, dog and, and, is named Braytac. What do you want? Right, yeah, no, our dog is named Braytac. But, um, but yeah, I mean, not to compare Fringe at all with those final three seasons of Stargate, but just in the sense of, if you can hook me on the characters, you got me. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, oh, God, this show. <laughs> um, it's great because it explores some very interesting science fiction concepts, um, I think in some ways, you know, when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started, it was trying to kind of be this show um, in that first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that, you know, wasn't really all that good. Um, but, you know, I kind of like that it was that sort of procedural, but with all the sci-fi twists and everything like that in it. And, you know, the ongoing story of the parallel universe, you know, made things very interesting, um, which, again, it's sort of like high-order sci-fi that you don't normally see on an FBI show, you know? So I really liked, I really liked all of that. And I thought that it was kind of a unique thing. I thought it was kind of a, you know, a fun thing. And, 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 and I really enjoyed the care. I mean, even, even some of the things that were, did feel like I, I, you know, like there were a few things like Beth, that were, <laughs> well, no, where, you know, I was like, well, you know, I was writing this sort of headcanon of, well, Nina and Broyles have a relationship. And then, you know, a few episodes later, they're, like, making out. And I'm like, oh, my God. Called it. <laughs> yeah, I called it. <laughs> you know, so even some stuff like that. But I didn't care because I liked the characters by that point. So it worked out. Um, 
but uh, so yeah, let's let's start talking about those characters, and I think that any discussion of fringe characters would be remiss if we did not mention Walter Bishop, who is the sort of central figure, I think, of the show, um, despite Olivia being, you know, perhaps the the main character. Um, so, uh, Jen, why don't we start with you? What are you, what do you think about Walter? Um, I, I love Walter Bishop so much. Um, uh, he is, he is probably more, more than anybody. The, the reason that I watch the show, <laughs> John, John Noble is one of those people that I could watch him, you know, read the phone book and, and his, his cameo on legends of tomorrow, by the way, was amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, he's, he takes a character that, you know, he, he's pl- he's playing the the mad scientist, mm-hmm. right? The the archetype of, of the mad scientist, but he he imbues it with so much humanity and makes him such a layered, interesting person, and and has has a, you know a, a, this fraught relationship with his son, but you can see that there's there's real affection there, and having having dealt personally and and you know, with friends, with, with mental illness and dealing with my own mom who has, has dementia right now, the way that, that the show and the way that, that, um, John Noble portrayed Walter was as somebody who, who never, he, he, he always retains his intelligence and his, and his heart, you know, even when he's dealing with, you know, disconnect from reality stuff, literally or figuratively mm-hmm. um and and i just i think he's he's just amazing and i loved i mean and i'm going to say this about every character but i loved getting to see him do the two different parts mm-hmm. um as as walternate and uh and regular walter yeah no, that is definitely one of the really, you know, good things about the show is it let all the actors sort of stretch themselves a little bit. <laughs> Except for Peter. Peter is always Peter. <laughs> no matter what. True. <laughs> there can be only one. Uh, right. At the risk of crossing over to Lost, he's kind of the series constant. Mm. He is. Um, so, uh, Beth, Walter. So, I, the thing I really like about Walter um, is that he plays everything with this delightful hint of childlike innocence. And there's just a dash of, like, a little twinkle in his eye of, like, devilishness. Like, he just delights in in the chaos of things. Um, Even, like, walking around the lab with just his apron on. (laughs) You're just, like, that's thrown in your face and you're like, huh, that's just Walter. Okay. Like, the first time it just, you're really taken aback by it. But after that, you're just like, yeah, that's just Walter. Mm -hmm. That's just... Yeah, and I and I'm almost positive that sales for Twizzlers skyrocketed <laughs> while, tw- while Fringe was on TV. Yeah, because he's always got those red vines in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Angie Walter. Um, yeah, I mean, frankly, the the show would not have been possible without John Noble being Walter. And I, I, I mean, the character of Walter is guilty of some horrible, atrocious things. And it is really John Noble's performance, the humanity that he 
you know, imbues this character with that allows us as viewers to not just be so disgusted that we shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, I, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor and everything that he does, I, he's just a treat every time he's on screen, but really the fact that we can feel for Walter so deeply, even after knowing all of the things that he does and that Walter does, um, you know, is a testament to their, to the, to John Noble, but it's also kind of holding the show together. The show could not be as daring or as, um, you know, it, it couldn't be as provoking necessarily without having such a, um, such depth in its main cast. Mm. Yeah, what I find interesting that he does is something that Tom Baker sometimes talks about um, on on commentaries and interviews and things is like you think about what the normal reaction to something would be and then you do something <laughs> completely 180 from it. And yes. so, like, oh, they're doing an autopsy. Like, oh, I'm going to start talking about how hungry I am. You know, which is, like, completely the wrong thing to do in that situation. It's it's totally opposite from the normal reaction anyone else would have. But that's what he goes for. He goes for those kinds of reactions. And it makes it funny. It does add some levity. But it also speaks to his character because it's something like, to Walter, none of this stuff is disgusting. Right? None of this stuff is, like, off-putting because he sees it as what it is. This is just you know, a human body and these are just the organs and whatever. There's nothing wrong with eating. You know, that's, that's, that's a societal kind of thing that you should be disgusted by it. So, um, you know, so, so I kind of like that. It kind of speaks to sort of Walter's sort of disconnect also on the social scale from, from everybody. And, um, you know, and, and the thing that I really liked about his character was that, you know, in most shows, if you reveal that the character, is not whole in some way um and then they get the opportunity to be whole usually the idea is yeah this is a good thing but in the sense of (laughs) but in the sense of walter you know when i founding finding out that he's missing pieces of his brain that had been cut out and everything like this was terrifying to him because he didn't want to be that person that he used to be Mm -hmm. You know, and I thought that that was a really cool thing. I thought that was, like, a different spin that I hadn't seen before, but also spoke again to, why do we forgive Walter for doing the horrible things that we know that he's done? He's not excluded from his experimentation, right? Mm-hmm. He He's not the exception experimenting on everybody else. When he didn't, he had enough capability for introspection to realize what he was becoming and proactively get rid of that person, right. even knowing what the potential cost was mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. He he gets props for that because he he isn't holding himself on a pedestal. He holds himself as responsible for becoming a monster, um, as anyone else could, and took really drastic steps to stop that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean he is now a completely different person than that person. So you know, it's it's it would be wrong to hold him accountable for any of those things because he is not that person. And in a, a fundamental way, his brain has been altered. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was interesting, and that was kind of sort of a cool thing to do with that character. Um, now, Angie, I know that you've made your thoughts on Olivia very clear. Um, <laughs> do you have anything that you want to add really quick? Um, were you talking about the actress? Should I talk about Olivia? We're going to save her for later. Oh, no, no, no. Let's, let's, let's combine their alternates with us. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Anatorv, um got some flack when the first season was airing for being very wooden. Um, She's Rupert Murdoch's niece by marriage or something. So there was a lot of talk of like, 
you know, it was kind of a nepotistic casting, that sort of thing. And I think when Olivia showed up um, and the difference was so drastic, it just became really obvious how good she is at um, inhabiting these characters and really differentiating them. Um, One of the things that I was looking at in my rewatches is when either version is playing the other one, pretending Mm -hmm. to be the other one, how how she walks, how, you know, her mannerisms, things like that stuff that, you know, shows up in Orphan Black as well. Um, And I think Anna Torv could pull off being one of the clones on Orphan Black. She has the same level, well, maybe not the same level, but she's so good at inhabiting, you know, both versions of the character. And even even so good in the fourth season when she doesn't know Peter, her mannerisms are slightly different. She's slightly more closed off, like physically She's inhabiting those characters in a way that I find really impressive and just really fun to watch. Yeah. Now, I, I believe I've told you this before, Angie, but do you remember my sort of like uh, like show idea that I sort of pitched? Uh, with Tatiana Maslany and Anna Torv? Yeah, and Jennifer Garner. <laughs> As like a black art ops team, the three of them together. <laughs> I would watch it. Yeah, no, I think that would be a great show. <laughs> <laughs> See, they they should have been in Dollhouse. That that would yes. Oh my God, that show is so. <laughs> so you know, we could combine Alias, Orphan Black, and Fringe. It would be great. Um, but <laughs> Beth, thoughts on Olivia? Uh, I think it's mostly been covered, but I I really appreciated the the mentality of of her character. Um, why she is closed off the way she is. I mean, there's there's a reason for it. And they get into that, and it's very personal. And when she slowly, over time, gradually opens up, that's a big deal. Hmm. So, I mean, that's... It's really hard to describe. <laughs> it's character development. It's, well, it's, it's, it's a slow progress, rather. Than, yeah. I mean, until season four. <laughs> right. But it's in, like, reaction to other things happening, and it's it's just really neat to watch. Hmm. It's almost like you can tell what season it is based on how Olivia is acting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And even when full Olivia is pretending to be Olivia, that is a different character. Or when Olivia is pretending to be full Olivia, that's a different character. So really, it's four characters that she's mm. playing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're getting into the orphan black, like, cloneception thing of, yeah. like, when the clones are playing other clones. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, and uh, Jen what did you think about Olivia Um, I I thought like I said when when, when it first started out I was I was one of those people not and I and I won't say I was saying that she was a bad actress but I was saying this is a very boring character Mm -hmm. um, at at first because because like I said it just it, it fit this archetype that had already been established and that I was I was already just sick of and but I will definitely agree with Angie insofar as I, I loved the fact that she was, uh, she was very competent in her own right. She was not like running around in high heels and, and makeup and all that. She was, she was just somebody who was very good at her job. Um, and, uh, and, and didn't have a whole lot of, life outside of that and yes once once you start seeing the what she went through as a child and so it makes sense why she was emotionally closed off and so on and so forth one of the things i guess this is as good a time as any to to bring it up 
one of the things that, that I hate in shows like that is the whole moonlighting, will they or won't they get together of mm. the the blonde and the guy. Um, and as as soon as it's that that started, I rolled my eyes and I'm like, oh my God, can we not do this? This is probably the only genre show where I genuinely enjoyed what they did with the romance. And and when when they when they were when when circumstances pulled them apart, it was interesting. And I was good with them getting back together or not getting back together because it was they had done something interesting with it. Um, so this is like I said, this is just kind of unique for me because it's one of the only times where I was like, yeah, I. I like the romance in this. I like the the idea that that part of what what makes Peter such a a nexus point is his love of Olivia, and that that's going to determine like which world survives and things like that. I, I it was one. It's one of the only shows where I really bought into that a hundred percent and was was interested and invested in what the outcome was going to be. Hmm. Yeah. Um... For Olivia, I had the same kind of reaction. I I I was kind of like, man, this character does not have much depth to her at all. Um, and and you know, I got Angie's point. I mean, this is a you know ex-military character. This mm-hmm. is a character, you know, and and for a woman, you know, this the the sensible, you know, ex-military. She's the mu- in a team that in you know incorporates Walter, Peter, and Olivia. She's the muscle, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, you know, Peter's always doing, like, the lockpicking and stuff like that. And she's the, you know, the tough person. And so that's all refreshing and that's all good. But I was like, man, I mean, there's not much to Olivia. She's the kind of person that, like, goes home and, like, cleans her gun. And that's, like, her idea of a good time. You know, I mean, but as they developed her and as she did more, you know, uh, you know, with the character and as the relationships with other characters grew... You know, I really started to like Olivia genuinely, and so, yeah, I mean, I I definitely grew to like her as a character. Honestly, you know, I don't see how the show could have worked as well as it did with anyone else, you know, and that's one of the things that I think was so key, is, like, they did such a great job with not only the characters from a writing standpoint, but also the actors that they chose to do it, because I think everyone gelled so well, and that's mm-hmm. just one of those things that you can't, you know, um, you can't just handle that in the writing. That has to be the actors and the performance as well, and they have to click. So, um, yeah, I, I really liked Olivia. I feel like I'm the weird one, because I didn't feel like she was, like, a really weird character in the first season. Hmm. I, I looked at how she was acting, and I was like, okay, there's a reason why she's acting like this. Well, it was like the fourth or fifth episode where she talked about the, the stepfather, you know, with the, with the whole plot line they dropped about him, like, stalking her and everything, that, like, it was, like, a big deal in that one episode, and, like, every birthday he sends her, like, you know, weird letters and stuff, and, yeah, then, then they dropped that, but, yeah, I mean, so they did bring up, you know, the trauma. Yeah, but, know. I mean, even, like, the first couple episodes, everyone's talking about how they thought that she was, like, this really weird bland piece of wood with blonde hair and I, I didn't feel that at all mm. I did not at all get that impression mm. okay. I, I just immediately thought, knew that there was something deeper going on that, that there's a reason why that she acts this way mm.
Okay. I'm so insightful. Okay. I don't know. I just I just never got that impression. All right. But are you going to bring up the thing that you said about the show, about relationships in the show that bothered you? I don't remember what I said. Enlighten me. <laughs> that everybody gets together with their partner? <laughs> uh, even, even one-off characters were together with their partners? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I I just felt it was weird. Well, we're going to get to this later. Never mind. I'm going to talk about the season breaks in a bit. Um, but uh, but let's go through the characters first. Um, so we talked about him a lot. We got Peter. Um, let's start with you on this one, Angie. What were your thoughts on Peter? Um, Peter grew on me. Uh, he wasn't my favorite at the beginning. Um, mm. I actually think poor Joshua Jackson would probably be the standout actor of any show he was in, except... <laughs> This one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of hard you know. to say that against John Noble. <laughs> yeah. Oh my so, God. Um, you know, I. There's a mountain. And it, it's interesting because I feel like of all the characters, he, as you mentioned, Nathan, he had the least um, actual growth or change over the course of, of the show. Um, you know, he did start out being, you know, extremely sarcastic and kind of looking to cut and run as soon as possible. And then, you know, changed over as he got his, you know, kind of felt comfortable and got his family. Um, but really once he did, once he established this group as his family, he was stable for the rest of, of the show. I mean, really just a solid, stable influence for them. And that was really necessary. I think you have Astrid, but it's at some level, um, Peter was kind of the grounding force of everybody. Mm -hmm. um, Astrid was just a little too far removed to be what they needed. Um, so Peter, you know, I, I love, I ended up loving Peter. I love all the characters. I'm, I'm going to mm -hmm. say this a lot over the course of the show, but really, you know, he, he gelled so well with everybody else that his lack of character development or, or his, um, quick, development and then and then stability over the course of the show i think was really important um especially when playing off of, of everybody else mm. and um beth what did you think about peter i hated him at the beginning <laughs> he was such a jerk <laughs> but at the same time i felt like he was almost kind of like um michael from burn notice in a way mm. like he could be like like he had that kind of potential. Oh, I see. But not. But not. But he never like took on other personas like that, no, or not really. Okay, no, but, okay. But that that kind of personality characteristic. Okay. Like the way that character could be. Mm. Like I thought that's what that's where they were gonna go with him, sort of, because he kept, he was always like on the run kind of thing. Well, yeah, and they they they, they the get, you know they talked about how he had held so many different jobs and different places, and so you got the idea that he might be sort of a chameleon like character like that. Yeah, but yeah, we like never really man. saw that. Yeah, we never really saw that really hit its full you know potential. Yeah, no. Yeah, so I feel like they they never really cashed in on that. Mm. But I guess they didn't really need to. Yeah, I, well, there were a lot of things that were set up in season one that were that were dropped, and I think that's one because they even set up the whole thing that once he came back into town, <laughs> there were 
there were all these people who were like, oh, Peter's back in town, and they were, you know, like, they hinted that they were going to, like, talk more about his past and sort of the more recent past kind of thing. And, or that and people were going to try to gun him down uh, because he's in right, town again. Or what that, right, there was that, that photographer that was stalking him in that one episode, and there was, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. But, yeah, they kind of dropped all that to just focus on Peter as a little kid and what happened. But, um, but anyway, and uh, Jen, what did you think about Peter? I I'm always gonna be the 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 girl who falls for the for the rogue character mm. the, the the Mr. Chaotic Good maybe chaotic <laughs> neutral not quite sure um, oh you know. no because <laughs> you yeah, talk about Olivia being such a trope I felt like Peter was such a trope but anyway <laughs> oh, I, I I don't just dis- I don't disagree but 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 that's that's my jam I, mm. I I like that kind of character um, I think that that one of the things that that was so amazing about him was that, you know, as as Angie was saying about, you know, on any other show, he would be the standout. But his he was so key to to the success of the show because so much of it rested on the believability of his relationship with Walter and his relationship with Olivia. Mm-hmm. And in in the hands of a lesser actor that couldn't sell the extremely multi-layered before we even start talking about alternates mm-hmm. you know the the extremely multi-layered and conflicted and complicated and and difficult uh aspects of those relationships he made it work and he made it you know he humanized he humanized both of those characters because you know olivia was initially as we've said you know kind of kind of cold kind of flat and um, through Peter, we got to see a different side of her. Um, just like, you know, seeing Walter being, as, as he changed over time from being sort of arm's length with Peter to having a genuine affection for him. Um, and I think that, that he was, his, his role as an ensemble player is is something that it's it's easy to overlook because but he was very much the clue that held everything together yeah i um you know like i said i i felt like peter was such a trope i i'm kind of sick of the scumbag with the heart of gold you know like that's that's a thing that you know han solo was my first love man (laughs) and again it's like han solo because he was the first one of these i encountered i like but it seems like there's so many derivatives you know oh sure and 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 you know i'm kind of i'm kind of sick of that as a as a as a trope but i feel like they stand like angie said like his character goes through like a little arc and as soon as they sort of stabilize his character, a lot of those more roguish, episodes, you know, uh, things kind of go away. Peter's just like a standout, you know, per you know, he's just a good, you know, dependable, you know, mm-hmm. person. He he has problems with Walter, but you know, you get the hints of why he has problems with Walter and might he might want to sure. storm off or whatever. And uh, although you really don't get the fullness of their relationship for quite a while and why it's so screwed up, but you know, you can kind of feel that Peter blames Walter for the death of his mom and you know everything else. So you know, there there's a lot going on there and. Um, you know, I, I I liked that, and I liked Peter, and I kind of quickly grew to liking Peter. And so, again, I think that... 
Were you saying that? I, was, I just said yeah. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I didn't want my comment to sound like I just flat out didn't like it, because I, I, right. I did like sure. him eventually, like when he stopped being a complete jerk. Right. Because <laughs> he wasn't that way for a long time. Right, right, right. No, no, no. just in the beginning. No, and that's yeah. the thing. It's like, and yeah, I mean, they dropped a lot of those elements that I didn't like pretty quickly. And then, then it did become about how is Peter interacting with everyone else and everyone else's reactions to Peter. So it probably was important to have one character that didn't shift so much in the show because everything else shifts mm-hmm. and pivots so much. Um, um, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to skip my favorite to talk about a character that's a little more prolific and let's talk about Broyles. Um, I'll start off with Broyles. I thought Broyles was a villain in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> he was so sinister, like the way that he just I don't know. I just always felt like you know they would show him with these like shadowy like people at mm-hmm. the desks and stuff, and I was just like. This guy is somehow behind some of what's going on. There's something not quite right here. And, you know, they gave me that eventually because basically with Fringe, like, all, like, all eventualities happen eventually. <laughs> you know? <laughs> In the alternate world with a, you know, shapeshifter. But, you know, it was still, you know, a Broyles. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, like, I, I was not sure about Broyles. But, man, by season two, I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing about this show is like, and you know, I keep saying this, like I didn't care for a particular character, I wasn't sure about them or whatever. That's one of the great things about this show is it kind of starts you out not necessarily liking everybody, and you have to sort of get on board with them, and that's kind of nice too because a lot of shows it's just like the characters are so generic or they're all so goofy fun. You know, that they try to make it like a mass audience appeal kind of thing. And this show didn't go for that. You know, it was like these, we want these to be like real people. Like in in the real world, if you just met, you know, these people, you might not really know where they stand or whatever. And that's, and that's real. And so as the audience, you're sort of going through like Peter is meeting these people and you might not be sure about them. So I kind of like that aspect of it. And yeah, I mean, you know. I thought the I thought the thing with Nino was a little odd, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean Broyles, and definitely seeing the alternate Broyles, mm-hmm. who had the family, and all the stuff going on there as well. You know, like it made me feel for our Broyles, and you know the fact that you know he he obviously still cared, and he was still hung up on you know everything that had happened and and you know I, I i don't know i just i just really like broyles i was really happy even though i'm not a big fan of the fifth season to see him for the few episodes they got him and to have him be part of the story i was glad that they were able to do that and yeah i just i just overall again he's another character that i really liked um that thoughts on broyles i was kind of meh with broyles honestly mm. but as this as the show went on um I kind of just felt like he was just a very dependable kind of guy. Mm. Kind of almost like a father figure, but without without the emotional attachment, I guess. Mm. Okay. That That's just how I felt about him, and I really can't explain why. Okay. I never felt any kind of real attachment to him. What about when he was tripping? Huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> Everything's better with characters when they're tripping. <laughs> All right. Um, Jen, what do you think about Broyles? 
Uh, I, w- I was also kind of kind of meh on Broyles. He was, um, although I will say that that yeah, Lance Lance Reddick is he's just got such a a a, a strong presence. You know, he's so striking looking, and uh, it it was it was. You know, when you have a character that is as over the top as Walter and then somebody like like him walks in, you expect that they're going to be equally over the top. And where where can that possibly go except evil? You know, (laughs) but um, but but yeah, he I mean, that's that's always a hard role on on the procedural, you know, to be the the Basil exposition that has to, you know, give out the assignment at the beginning of the the thing. But um, but he was he was an interesting character, just like everything else. I think that 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 he the, the actor and the writing made what could have been a very tedious, you know, functional character into somebody that I really cared what happened to him. Yeah, but he was, I mean, even from the beginning, though, he was a little more than a Basil exposition, because he went with them on some cases, and he actually was involved, so he he got a little more with with Broyles. But I did, I, I, you know, the turning point, I think, for me, and maybe this is wrong, because it has now been a while since I've seen the show... You know, I mean, we we finished season five relatively recently, but you know, the show overall we watched over a pretty, you know, decent length span of time. But was um, the beginning of season two when he like negotiates for autonomy for Fringe Division, and mm-hmm. he's got the yep. you know all that stuff. Like, I really you know liked like you know how you know powerful they kind of made him in that. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's that's when I think I started really uh, liking Broyles. And I'm pretty sure he's he's the only person that got to see his double <laughs> dead, yeah. and that's you know that that sort of that that explains a lot about his his choices up until they rewrote the timeline. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Angie, what do you think about Broyles? Um, I, it's kind of unfair because I I came in loving Lanzarotic, mm. um, so I I, I didn't. I wasn't coming in cold. I, I had biases. Um, but I think Broyles is just like exactly what you would want as a boss. <laughs> like, hmm. He is calm and collected. He's got this presence. He's got this amazing voice. Like I just, if I walked in and he was my boss, I would just feel like everything was going to be fine <laughs> all the time. Um, you know, and I, I just, I really enjoyed him. It was, you never got too much of him. You never got, um, you know, you never, he was never gone for too long. So you kind of forgot he existed. Like he was always a presence in the show. He was always there. Um, and you never really delved too deeply. Um, you know, you had a couple of backstory episodes for him, but you didn't really get into his head as much as the other characters. And so he was just this presence that could be there. Um, and I find it so interesting that I think if he would have chosen, he would have been more utilitarian, maybe more like Walternate. Mm. Um, but in every iteration of him, he eventually, reluctantly, always did the right thing. And mm-hmm. I thought, yeah. so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to talk now about the character that I instantly fell in love with. <laughs> you know, so many of the characters, it took me a little bit of warming up to, but we had the character of Asterix, Astro... <laughs> Every every A name you can think of from the dictionary, and that is Astrid. 
oh my god, Astrid, MVP of the series, delightful character, why they didn't give her more to do, I don't know, because it always felt like this woman has way more potential than they are letting her express both in the universe and out of the universe, you know, both in a meta sense, the actress, and also, um, I feel like the character had a lot more potential than they, they gave her, um, but, um... Beth, thoughts on Astrid? I absolutely adore Astrid. Yeah. She she became, like, the maternal figure of the group. Um, her interactions with Walter were just so, so endearing. And she she tolerated every name he threw at her. She mm. was just like, okay, that's my name today. <laughs> I know, I love um, it. The she, long-suffering nature of Astrid is just yeah. beautiful. And she she took care of him. Mm-hmm. She really did. I think if there was no Astrid, he he would have like accidentally killed himself a thousand times over. Mm-hmm. Just some lab mishap. Yeah, I mean it's weird because like in the fourth season they rewrite the timeline. They make it so there never was a Peter. Or I mean there there I mean technically until he was there, but but really in the fringe division sense there was never a Peter. And so in the very beginning of that season they give Astrid more to do. She's going to the field. She's basically Walter's eyes and ears and hands on the field and all that kind of stuff. And like by like the third episode they completely drop that. Yeah. You know, it's like they, they relegated Astrid to the, you know, the same old, she's just in the lab kind of thing. And it really annoyed me because she had, like, ten degrees and, you know, it was like, every time Astrid would talk about something where it was like, you know, this woman is so capable, why aren't they utilizing her more? And I also love the character, you know, she's such a delight. And it is cool that they did have... They did give her more to do because her alternate was a little more different than the others. I know that, you know, uh, Angie was saying that they were trying to go for, like, kind of like an Asperger's mm-hmm. syndrome kind of thing. Um, and, you know, so we got she got to play that. And that was, you know, good for the actress. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like Astrid had so much untapped potential. Mm. Um, I think my favorite episode with Astrid was when, um, in the alternate universe, the father died. Yeah. And that was, and she ran away, and she came to the Earth One, as it were. Right. And hung out with Astrid for a day. Yeah, I think that's the only time that she got an episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Was that and one. That was, that was just so neat, and, and just how, um, I'm just going to say Astrid One and Astrid Two, because do, do we have an official, like, fan name for the other Astrid? <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I don't even know. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, one. no. How about Altered? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. Let's go with it. So, <laughs> so the the way that Astrid took care of Altered is just was was just so warm and so much empathy, and she she basically lied to her mm-hmm. in the end, but it was what she needed to hear, and it made her feel better about going home. Mm-hmm. So she felt like that her relationship with her father wasn't different in either world. Like, it wasn't something that she did. It wasn't because of her her mental capacity or whatever. No. That's the wrong term. No, that is the wrong term, but I, I wasn't going to get into that right now. Out. It's okay. <laughs> her, her neurotypicalness, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Angie, what, did, what do you think of Astrid? Um, I... Honestly, thought that maybe she'd been a Cortexa fan kid at the beginning because mm. she was so 
empathetic. She really, her wisdom and her empathy for all of the other characters was really, um, I don't want to say surprising, but um, unique. Um, and so for a while, mm-hmm. I just figured if eventually it would come out that she was also a cortex kid, of course. Um, I'm glad they didn't go that way. Um, but yeah, she, uh, you know, like Peter, she was a very grounding force, you know, compared to the poles of, um, you know, what Olivia was getting drawn into and, and uh, Walter on the other end um, and long suffering and amazing. Um, but she also, like, to me, she represented the person who could go home at night. Um, like, I know, Nathan, you and I talked about, you know, Olivia just being such a trope that they end up with their partner. For me, I bought that with Olivia because Olivia lived that job. She didn't have an outlet. She didn't have anything. She had the job, but that was it. Um, and, you know, Peter and Walter, their job is each other, I guess. So, <laughs> but none of them had any separation. And Astrid was the one who you always felt like she was keeping everyone grounded because she could go home. Like she could go have a life outside of this insanity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so then we have the alternate Astrid who was also just wonderful. And I loved the fact that, like, Every time you see her on the other side, people would comment about how valuable she was and how like mm-hmm. how smart she was, that, that sort of thing. And then in the Astrid episode, she came over because she had such such guilt, you know, some feelings about her relationship with her father. And that was really wearing her down, even though she had all this validation on the other side. Um, but yeah, and Astrid lying to her really, but it was the empathy. It was exactly what she needed, just like Beth said. So Astrid was just this like lovely, compassionate wonderful human who was kind of just along for the ride but uh everybody else in the car was better off because of it yeah i just i just i don't know i would just love to see more with astrid i mean even if they could ever bring the show back which i know would be weird and and it would be no weirder than anything else about that show (laughs) well true but i'm just saying because of the way it ended you know, you couldn't have Walter, and so I'm not sure you could have a show, but... You can I, just use another universe. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, um... Green one, I don't think yeah. they got green. <laughs> that's true. But, um, yeah, I just, I would just love for that character to still be developed. Um, of course, it hasn't been as long for me as it has been for other people, so... Um, and, um... To, to, to end up the, with the uh, to, to finish with the the main characters, Nina, another character I was convinced was pure evil from the beginning. Isn't she though? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> there were some definite questionable choices, almost on the Walter level at times, uh, but. Um, I love her so much. I'm gonna stab her in the brainstem every night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's a one percenter. Yeah, that's true. Um. So. Uh, yeah, Angie, why don't we start off with you? What do you think about uh, Nina? Um, I I gotta figure out another way to say I love a character. It's gonna get real repetitive. <laughs> Um, Nina's great, and one of the standout things about the fourth season that I just rewatched most of today um, is that it really, it really gave Blair Brown a good opportunity to kind of stretch 
a little bit. I think the first three seasons, because she was more of a recurring character, a recurring presence, and always connected to Belle, and so she was, by plot necessity, very mysterious. She she was pretty, pretty morally questionable, but also mysterious. The fourth season mm-hmm. gave her a, connect, a, a connection to one of the characters, this connection to Olivia, that let her show more humanity than I think she had before, mm-hmm. um, which continued on into the fifth season as well, obviously, um, where she it culminated in her, you know, doing the, the best of things, which is sacrificing herself for everybody else. Um, so, yeah, I think, I feel like, Blair Brown didn't have enough to do for most of the show, but at the same time, I felt like we got the exact right amount of Nina. <laughs> she, mm. We didn't get too much of her, you know, where her prevaricating or hedging was too annoying. Um, it crossed over into obnoxiousness. It was always just kind of there, and, and what her motivations were and what she was really thinking were, were, you know, kind of mysteries that we had to deal with. Yeah, I I always had a problem with the season four idea that Nina had taken in Olivia and uh, Rachel, just because it just seems like why in the world would she have done that? And again, they they tried to leave things as vague as possible for the alternate timeline so that they had more of a blank slate. But I just kind of it seemed like a forced relationship just to have it you know in there. But um, that was one of my several issues with season four. Uh, but anyway. Um, Jen, what did you think about um, Nina? I, I thought she was she was interesting. Um, I thought that uh, it was it was nice to see, um, and and this this is true of Olivia also. But I, any any time there's a female character that doesn't you know rely on her womanly wiles, you know, to be yeah. like you know all sexy all the time, um, I, I I like seeing that, and I liked seeing her being portrayed as competent in terms of science as well as business, which again is something. Mm that is super super lacking in uh in network tv uh depictions so so that was good obviously she's she's a great actress i agree that it i i appreciated just like with all of these characters i appreciated seeing the different side of her with uh with olivia but that one was just kind of a bridge too far for me because mm-hmm. I, I had just gotten it so solidly set in my head that, that she was this very distant character that it it didn't quite work for me. I mean, my, my headcanon was, was that uh, she was, that the reason she took Olivia in was um, that, that she felt complicit because of her involvement with, with Belle, um, with the conf- uh, that that he had been, you know, over the Cortexafan trials, and that she she felt like she had to do some kind of, you know, penance, making up for her her role or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, great actress took what what could have been a pretty forgettable um, role and and made it really memorable. Um, I do want to throw one one last thing in though, because you did leave out one other um, not main cast person, but someone that I hold very dear to my heart, and that. Well, I wasn't. I was going to let people comment on other characters, okay. but so, anyway. So <laughs> so I'm going to Lincoln Lee. Lincoln Lee is okay. like my man. I th- I. I I met Seth Gable at DragonCon a few years ago, and and the actor is just just an incredibly sweet person, um, and I 
I, I loved seeing the, the two different Lincolns and what they did with them. And uh, I thought that, that he played so well. He, he, he helped give us a, a, uh, a, a touch point for Folivia of, of having someone that she had a very positive relationship with and seeing her interacting with, with somebody. And I just, I thought that, that he would, he they could have done so much more than they did with him but at the same time i can see and and uh the the actor even even said that he thought that it was like a, a one and done you know or like three mm. three episodes and and that's it um and i'm i'm glad that he got to do as much as he did and i loved seeing what they did with the character um going over to the uh the other universe Okay, I'm sorry. Beth is making faces at me. Um, but Beth, let's first talk about Nina. Okay. <laughs> what did you think about Nina? <laughs> um, Nina really grew on me. I I felt that she was delightful. Uh-huh. Um, I I wouldn't want her as a friend. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> sort of throw that out there. Don't really like her as a person. Um, but, but if as you, a character. But if you need something done and she's willing to help. <laughs> and you don't want to ask too many questions. Right. <laughs> Let's have that little, you know, asterisk there. Not you, Astrid. Um, <laughs> shoot. Right. <laughs> I just felt the need to throw That's my there. favorite one is when he calls her asterisk, but anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anything more about Nina? If she wants it done, it's gonna get done, and that's terrifying. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's very true, and that's one of the yeah, that's one of the great things about Nina. I mean, she's, you know, like I say, I mean, she seemed kind of sinister in the beginning, but that was good. I think for that kind of character, what they were going for is you weren't supposed to be sure of where Nina stood with it. Like, does she stand with Bell? Does she not stand with Bell? Does she trust him? In pl- I mean, we know she stood with him in in some sense, but you know, does she trust him implicitly? Is she does she have reservations? How much is she? keeping close to the vest, you know. I feel like with Belle, I mean, we had the joke that Nina was sort of the village bicycle because everyone had had a ride. <laughs> but... Wow. Uh, but with Belle, that was the one time where I felt like saying that Nina had had a physical relationship with someone yeah. was sort of a hindrance because I would have just liked the idea that she was just a dependable, you know, person that Belle had put in charge of his business while he was gone. And adding that sort of relationship, you know, to it just, yeah, it does not, you know, and I would always call something like that into question, you know, and I just, I would have rather they had kept their relationship and their past professional. Um, like I, I kept thinking that they were going to reveal that Walter and Nina had had a relationship at some point. I'm glad they didn't go there. No, 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 no. They, they never slept together. Are we sure? Well, okay, that they never revealed. All right, but anyway, all right. So, Beth, since you were making faces, uh, uh, why don't you why don't you talk about Lincoln? I don't want to because I can't stand him. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, so. Okay. If his if his only good point was someone for faux Libya to play off of, <laughs> then why is he necessary? Literally, anyone else can do that. Well, I like Charlie. Actually, Charlie was a character that on Earth One Black I didn't man, like yes. at all, but on Earth Two I thought he was the best. Yes, because uh, he had bugs in him. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was cool. The whole thing with the bug girl. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, you've got all these like parasitic bugs in you," and she's like totally into it. That was the most. 
the best thing. But yeah, no. So my all right here. All right. So I think I'll enunciate a little better or explain a little better Thank than you, you did. Because my words. To are me, not Lincoln right always now. came off as a creeper. Yes. And I think that the message of the series with Lincoln was: if you persist on a woman that says no, eventually she's going to say yes. <sighs> and that was sort of my problem with Lincoln. It's like he had to cross worlds for it. If you won't say yes, your alternate <laughs> might say yes. But eventually, oh. a version of Lincoln did succeed with a version of Olivia. And I don't. I just. Oh, he. He was. He was so stalkery with Olivia constantly. I just. Oh. Oh, I did not like that. I. I mm. Yeah. So I liked it when he was the one. And so in the original timeline, when they showed the Earth One Lincoln, he seemed okay. But once it was the alternate timeline, he was just like the Earth Two Lincoln. And yeah, I was not. But anyway, so Angie, if you want to rebut, since you're the only one who hasn't commented yet on on Lincoln. Yeah, I'm much more with Jen than you guys. Sorry. Uh, I think Lincoln Lee's great. Um, I also don't think. Here's the thing about the all fringe team. And I think part of the reason that they cast the character at all um, was to show this different kind of dynamic, right? Broyles is still the boss. Mm -hmm. You still have Olivia. This is a much more flirty, flirty version of Olivia. Um, Mm -hmm. And she is that way with uh, both Charlie and Lincoln Lee. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that you had to have more than one there to not make it overtly romantic. Um, because I don't think that's what they were going for. I think this, you know, Folivia is just more of an exuberant, flirtatious person. Um, yeah, so you could have her just Lincoln... playing off Charlie without it seeming like maybe she and Charlie were going to, yeah. you know. So you have like, but Lincoln and I, you, you and I had this discussion, Nathan, and so I was paying more attention this time around. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think, like, I think he was in love with Olivia mm. and he handled it the absolute best possible way that you it's possible to do. Right. He, he worked the, their confidants. They work very closely together. He was never really, he was never overly pushy about anything. I always got the sense that he would back off if he thought he went too far. Um, kind of teasing her about stuff. Um, but look, what do you do in that situation? Right. If you're in love with a coworker and they don't reciprocate, you still have to work with them. You still value them. Like, I felt like that relationship was actually quite realistic in that way. Um, I did have more of an issue with, like, I feel like if Prime Universe Lincoln had gone over and stayed there and um, Alt Lincoln was still alive, I wouldn't have a problem with the character at all. I would be fine with everything. The fact that they killed him off weirds me out a little bit. <laughs> um, and that is one of the bigger problems that I have because we see in season five that our prime Lincoln does end up with Olivia. And I would have mm. been fine with that if the other Lincoln was still alive. Mm. <laughs> but he's not, and it's just a little weird. Okay. <laughs> all righty. Um, I'm going to stay over here because I want to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I thought the best thing would be if they showed the other universe. It was like, yeah, he made this ridiculous choice on, like, absolutely, like, no basis to go over there thinking he had a shot and then just be like, no, she she was not interested and you just spent, like, 15 years or whatever it was. Just like, man, I shouldn't have done that. But Well, know. but keep in mind, too, Olivia in the Amber universe the in the fourth season was the one who kind of 
initiated things with Lincoln. He actually kind of rebuffed her the first couple of times. And then he started kind of getting the feels and then everything kind of went to hell, which was also very unfair. It was just like a path, like all of her memories of him got replaced. Like you can't really, but he was very, they made a huge point to the fact that he was super untethered. He didn't have anything to keep him in either universe. So I don't have, I don't, think he was particularly creepy to be totally honest and i did go into this most recent rewatch with that with our conversation in mind and i didn't get that vibe mm. all right other characters that people want to bring up um and and we don't have to all talk about all of them whatever if there's any i mean the 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 like a princess of england was in the show uh not <laughs> that her character did a whole lot it seemed like they wanted her to do more but i don't know if something came up where she wasn't able to do it anymore because it seemed like they were starting a storyline and then it was just like no nah, you're in two episodes you're gone now yeah princess um, of england and king of wakanda right. yes um so, uh, but yeah, I mean, any any other characters you want to talk about? I, I I'm I'm just going to let it be known. I'm going to talk about William Bell. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, Angie, <laughs> any other characters you want to? Um, I adore Charlie. Um, mm. both Charlies, and I will say part of the reason that I I adore Charlie so much because he really was only there for a season and a half. Mm. Um, Charlie. Charlie was the one relationship in the first season that I really bought on first watch going in where I thought Olivia was kind of weirdly wooden. Um, I just immediately, like I picked up on the vibe between them. They had, he did so much with, with relatively little material Mm -hmm. um, to just make me just buy in completely on their relationship. The trust that they had with each other, his relationship with Broyles, I bought all of it immediately, and he was all of a sudden this, like, rock. And really, on rewatch, I think I should have known he was doomed because he was such a rock. (laughs) 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 You need to remove the rocks to get some character, good character drama. Um, But yeah, so Charlie just was... And and Scarly, you know... fun in a different way i really liked the alternate fringe team i really liked the the camaraderie that they had together so it was kind of i mean dad's friends it was a totally different version but it was much more um light-hearted version mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. she still had that very insightful kind of words of wisdom solidness um in the alternate universe that he had in the prime one and i i thought that was really appealing yeah, it, all, it hurt. It hurt that I had already seen Kirk. I don't know, but I was last name Acevado. I don't know how you pronounce that name, but um, I'd already seen him in Arrow as probably one of the worst characters ever. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I, I went into this watching it, and I instantly disliked him just based on. So I will say that there might be some bias that I had at the beginning against it, but I definitely liked the alternate Charlie. Like, once we went there, and once we get to all the teasing about the bugs in him and everything, I was like, okay, I'm on board for this Charlie. I like this. You know, so I thought it was a much more fun character. Um, uh, Beth, do you have another character that you want to bring up? September. Okay, September, yes. Yeah. Please elucidate, you know, (laughs) go beyond that. I was just waiting for you to calm down. Um, So September is one of the observers, and which we later learn is from, like, the original, like, what's the word? Team of 
scientists from the future who are observing right. the past. Yeah, I'm not as happy with the explanation once we finally uh, got it with season five, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. alright, that's September. There's 12 of them and they're all mm-hmm. named after the, after the months of the year. Mm-hmm. So th- this particular one is September. And he's actually, like, interfering with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really cool. Well, originally it was <laughs> unintentional. The yeah. first time when he, he was just wanting to observe when Walter heals Peter... And he, he screwed he it up. Yeah, he, but, but he distracted him so he didn't right, notice he got the cure. Right, right, exactly. And so that's when the Peter that we all know and love, all maybe not initially would have loved anyway, right. um, would have died. So that's why Walter crossed over and mm-hmm. grabbed him and saved him because of September's unintentional interference. Um, but yeah, but because uh, but because Peter was supposed to survive, he had to intervene another time to make sure that he grew up so we got we got a lot of stuff from september and and starting from him we got to see that there's other observers and there's a whole lot more going on that we didn't even know was going on so that was really interesting and then we got to see him come back um as donald (laughs) which was even which was weird. It was nice for the actor to be able to get outside of the makeup and yeah. uh, just... Like, yeah, oh, yeah. he's got hair now. Okay, <laughs> nice eyebrows. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then you get to see him ha- have emotions finally, and he develops an emotional bond with the child observer, um, mm-hmm. who he sees as his own child. And so that's that, w- that was really nice. I, I really liked September. Yeah. No, and I think I think the idea of the observers when they were enigmatic was really good, you know. And I liked I liked that whole you know storyline that they were doing with them. I sometimes wonder if what we got in season five was the original idea or if it was an altered idea because they even said in the beginning like somebody was like, "Are they time travelers?" And it's like, "No, I, that's not it." That they, you know, it seems like they have a unique relationship with th- or something. It seemed like it was more complicated than just simply that they're time travelers. So in the end of the day, when they reveal like, "No, they're just time travelers," it seemed like, "Well, wait a minute." <laughs> you know? Hashtag JJ Abrams. <laughs> right. So, um, but yeah, uh, no, and I, yeah, September was really cool. Um, I can't remember which month it was. That was the one that was played by uh, mm. Peter Woodward, who was uh, Galen on Crusade. But he was the one that wanted to save that one girl because he had like witnessed her. Oh, August. Yeah, August. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked him too. Um, That's because it's Galen. Right, no, it was Galen, so <laughs> I liked him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to bring up William Bell. Angie, very wisely, did not tell me that Leonard Nimoy was going to be in the show because the reaction I got from the reveal would not have been the same if I had known Nimoy was coming. So, oh, my God. Oh, my God. My heart. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited uh, when he was revealed. Now, you know, we talked about this before, Angie, where um, a little disappointing in the amount that he got to do. Um, I realized he was in poor health and that, you know, he wasn't able to, to be there a lot. I feel like season four for him was the best season. I think that he was definitely enjoying playing the villain. And it seemed like he got more to do in season four than the stuff they gave him in the first few seasons. So I kind of enjoyed that, and I enjoyed I enjoyed the relationship they had him have with Walter in that season, where like they had sort of crossed each other, 
where like Belle had become the monster that Walter was afraid of being. And I kind of liked it, but that, but yet Belle still loves Walter. Like, hey, you're my buddy. Want to see all the crazy stuff I'm doing? You know? <laughs> like all that, you know. I I kind of liked that. I liked that attitude that he had about it. Come on over, we'll drop some acid together. You can see what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I know. Like, what? <laughs> so yeah, no, I I really enjoyed that. And yeah, I mean, again, I mean, knowing that this was like one of the last. I don't know if it was the last thing that Nimoy did or just one of the last that he did. But I'm glad that there was a series that he got to do where. You know, he was made such a pivotal character and that people, you know, I mean, the respect for him, you know, was definitely there. And so I appreciate that that was, you know, that, that he got to do that. And, you know, I like I say, I liked that last season. I liked what they did with him. Um, so I thought that was really good. Um, but, um, yeah, anyone else have anything they want to say about Belle and Nimoy? I'm so <laughs> glad I didn't accidentally spoil it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I texted you right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you remember that. I was like, you never told me Leonard Nimoy was in this. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was a bold choice to, to have the World Trade Center. Because that was, mm. you know, that that was probably one of the first things that, that you know, made mention of that in, in fiction after 9-11. And that was a... That was a, a bold choice. <laughs> it it was it was pretty mind blowing when the camera pans back and you go, oh my god! Um, so so that was uh, that that was one of the things that, that won me over, honestly. Where I was like, eh, okay, well, hey, they got they got learned anymore. That's pretty cool. Wait, what? <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, I mean, he even talks about, I can't remember which season it is, but he even talks about it like, you know, the, the World Trade Center is here and not there, and that's because different decisions were made, something like that. It yep. was, you know, that they actually put a spotlight on that. It's not just, oh, you can see it in the skyline or whatever. So, you know, it was, uh, yeah, they, they, they definitely uh, were kind of bold there. Um, yeah, they had them, I think, attack the, the Pentagon instead. Was that it? Well, no, I mean, the, did they say that? They packed the White House instead. Oh, White, White House. House. Yeah. Okay. 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 I knew it was something else that they crashed into instead of the World Trade Center. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, so, yeah, let's, you know, so let's talk about, like, sort of, like, the series as a whole as far as, like, the, the arkishness of it. You know, I mean, one of the things that Angie brings up as a strength is one of the things that I kind of frustrated me, and not in the sense of I liked the A B ness of the two worlds. What frustrated me was the sort of soft reboots that we got. Um, not so much between the first season and the second season. In some ways, I was disappointed that storylines got dropped because I was kind of interested in them. Um, you know, because it's like, hey, you introduce these mysteries and these different things, and then you'd, like, never do anything with them. But that wasn't so big of a deal. And from a character standpoint, the character growth from seasons one, two, and three is clear. But, um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a steady progression. But in season four, when they kind of say, like, oh, you know, we're going to have Peter, and he's going to remember everything, but everybody else is going to be different. It felt like, oh, there was a lot of... I mean, it did allow a couple of things. Season 4 did bring back a few of those things from Season 1 that had been dropped, so that they could kind of, you know, put some explanation behind them. But 
the part that was frustrating to me is it felt like with Peter having to like reconnect with everybody that it just felt like, oh my God, we've already been over this already where everyone didn't trust Peter at first. And, you know, they had to learn that he was really a good guy. And I feel like since I'm part of the audience that already went through all of that, that that was just super tedious. There were also things that I felt like were just changed for the sake of changing, like the thing with Nina now being the adoptive mom of Olivia, and some of those other things that I felt like didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Heck, the fact that the world's still standing in the alternate timeline after Peter had been pivotal in saving it so many times was frustrating to me, because I felt like that was basically saying, well, Peter wasn't necessary because the world would have been saved without him anyway that you know either astrid would have done something or whatever and so it just i don't know well starting with the fourth season i really had a hard time with the show and then with the fifth season and the jump forward in time it was almost a completely different show at that point and i just had to rely on the fact that i love the characters um and it's not a knock on the daughter character that they introduced i didn't think she was a problem but uh, just the, the premise of the whole thing was not all that great to me. I like how you already decided that it was Astrid who saved the day. <laughs> like, that's just a natural... Well, I'm just saying she was there, so, I mean... It had to be her. It had to be her, right, exactly. <laughs> Especially with that version of Walter being so withdrawn... You know, so much more withdrawn. It has to be. Right, yeah. I mean, who else would have done it, you know? <laughs> you know, so anyway. I don't know. So so thoughts on, I mean, I, I want to hear Jennifer, because I know Angie and I have kind of gone back and forth on this a little bit, but but Jen, what, what are your thoughts on sort of like the series as it got into the fourth season and the fifth season? So I think that the, the idea of having a show that, that has it baked in that you can do soft ruby reboots and have them make sense in in the plot line i think is is great Mm -hmm. um because obviously it let them do a lot of you know a a lot of really interesting experimental things that you normally can't do on a on a genre uh, procedural type show Mm -hmm. so i think i think it gave them the freedom to 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 play around with a lot of different things and i think that's great um i loved i loved the alternate universe the fourth season, I agree. I, I was I was still on board with it mm-hmm. um, because I was I was invested enough in the characters um, to to see where they were going to go with it, and I I, I loved the stuff with Belle, and I, I I I was I was still fully engaged with it. Um, I when I did my rewatch, I did not watch the fifth season. <laughs> no. I went back. I went back and I I reread some of the the synopses and uh, it's it is really depressing mm. and I have enough of that in my real life and in the the real world right now and I did not I mean even even the first time through it was it was hard to watch because it was so bleak and this is coming from a person who really enjoyed Battlestar Galactica so you know i don't i don't have a problem with with bleak generally um it was it was just it was too much for me i didn't like the direction that they took with the characters um i wish oh gosh and now i'm blanking on his name uh he was on lost he was the australian guy not um, Yes, not yeah. Penny's boat guy. Um, 
I loved his uh, his guest spot on there, and I wish that he had been there for for the if if he was going to be mm. in the the fifth season, then that might have made me stick around. But no, it was it was just too unrelentingly dark. I didn't like like you like you said. You know, typical J.J. Abrams. Oh no, they're not time travelers. Oh, oh actually, they're totally time travelers. You know, I was just like, really, really. Oh, and they 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 have like brothels and stuff. Really, that's that's what where you're going with this. I I just was I I was I wanted to be like J.J. I'm disappointed in you. You know. Well, and also the whole thing about you know like a single observer was able to like you know perfectly like know everything someone was going to do. And, like, be able right. to, like, counter them or whatever. Whereas a whole world full of them, you know, isn't able to take care of this yeah. resistance movement. And it's just because, oh, Olivia's kid taught people how to resist them. It's like, wait a minute. Okay, so you might be special because yeah, no. you're this Cortexa fan baby, you know. So maybe you're special. You can't teach somebody to have chemicals in their system, okay? You know, you can't, like, <laughs> alter... You can't yeah. teach someone to alter their... De- oh, okay, maybe in the fringe universe you can. But, you know, <laughs> in general, it doesn't work. So, I don't know. I, I just felt like they had built the observers up to be so powerful that then it was almost ridiculous that a world full of them couldn't handle what was going on. Yeah. I just... I, I, I didn't... I didn't enjoy the tone of it. I didn't enjoy where they were going with the storyline. It was it was too bleak. And I mean, I, I like I said, I applaud them for taking a chance, but they they blew it on that one. <laughs> I, I feel much much with that as I do about the uh, let's go to space season of of mm. Age of Shield. It was like bold choice, but not a good one. <laughs> I disagree with you on that one, but okay. So, Beth, <laughs> um, so Beth, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times you just kind of listen to me rant about things, and you don't really tell me your own thoughts too yeah. much. But you know, so <laughs> <laughs> so season. I mean, so 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 fringe as as a progression. Yeah, it's kind of you know, I guess the best way to put it. Like, how did you feel about the way the show? Were you disappointed by the dropped? storylines and how do you feel well, about I mean, four and five bit. with I mean, the sort I, of reboots? I was a little bit frustrated about the, the drop in the storyline with the the boyfriend in her head. Right, right, yeah, because um, there was all sorts of stuff they hinted at that was they beyond could, they what they did with so that. so much with that. Right. And then they're just like, oh, no, that's just going away now. Right. It's like, oh, well, could, could he just not come back this season? Is that what's going uh, on? Yeah, I think, I think, Angie, you told me that he got another show or something, and so that was why they, they got rid of him pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was on something else. That was the only one that really stuck out with to me of the of the drop as far as drop storylines go. Yeah, see, the stepfather thing is the thing that always haunts me, where it's just oh, like I'm so glad that that's just not even because they I hinted that something it. fringy had happened with him because she talks about how she shot him and then like he just got up from the hospital like the next day and then he's been stalking her ever since. So I was like, oh, so like. There's something fringe related here with her stepfather, and they never like revealed what was up with that. So, you know, I didn't really get that sense out of it. I just thought he was a real creep with a good constitution stat. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was frustrated with the frustrated with the soft reboot mo- more than anything else. Um, I I kind of just like went along with the ride for the last season just because I was like, okay, it's different. Let's see where this goes. Um. I cried really hard, mm. a lot, 
in that last season. Um, it, but it, it, I mean, it wasn't my favorite season. I mean, I'd be lying if I said it was. How did you feel about the, oh, the reason that Olivia is remembering is because of that undefinable human thing called love? <laughs> Jen gave the reaction I wanted. Because yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, something's that, going on here. That's like... basically the writer's way of saying, yeah, the fans are kind of pissed at us, so we gotta fix it somehow. Well, that just made me even more frustrated about the reboot is it's like, okay, so you wanted to reset everything, but then you just decide like, oh, by the way, let's have everything snap back to where it was. Now we have to you soft know. reboot our soft reboot. Right, yeah. because like I mean, we're reading comics. Even Walter like got back to where he needed to be, you know, within like half a season or so where he had gained most of that confidence back and was going out again and all that kind of stuff. So it I mean, it's very like, gradual though. Right. No, they, with Walter, I think it was the best the way that they handled yeah. it to get him back That's there but really it still felt like tr to me though that we were just in a big circle because it's like we spent so much time just trying to get back to where we already had been where instead if we had just developed on from the third season in in a linear way we could have you know pushed things forward a little more but yeah. you know speaking of walter i mean i i, I kind of wanted to mention this earlier but i completely forgot or i got sidetracked or mm -hmm. something i'm pain meds are great um <laughs> Uh, Walter in, in the last season was really intriguing because mm. they had put the, the brain bits back in. Mm -hmm. And so they, they said that he was slowly going back to monster Walter, air mm -hmm. quotes. Um, and so he was trying to like fight against that really hard and he was worried that um, his love for Peter wasn't going to be enough. And that was a really touching thought and, and just his struggle with that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Mm -hmm. No, I think Walter, I mean, but again, Walter is so great in the whole series, but I think Walter was kind of the standout character of season five mm -hmm. also. And how they wrapped up his story, well, <laughs> did it really wrap up, was, was I think a, a very good way of doing it, of, of how mm -hmm. he kind of like redeemed himself in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually would be interested in knowing what happened after I, the fact. I, I but... think that would have been better, though, if they hadn't time-wiped away the, the white tulip episode. Oh, <laughs> <no>. You know? Because <laughs> if he had remembered that, I think that that would have been, I don't know, to me that would have made that a little But it more did powerful. make its appearance at the very end. No, so I, I know, I know. Like, oh, it's the tulip! Yeah, it was a tulip, right? Am I getting that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Alright, so Angie, um... Maybe it's like the apology to the audience. Maybe that's what it really was. <laughs> I mean, I think Please that just the fact that they I think the fact that they got a season 5 at all was mm -hmm. the was the sort of the gift to the audience, I think because I think the show was going to be canceled and it was one of those things where they they rescued it for a half season. So, um, yeah. For better or worse. <laughs> And much like Once Upon a Time, they tried to do something in the final season to say, like, oh, maybe if we, like, really change it, we can, like, get some more out of it. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, I don't think it, it didn't work Because it worked so well for Once Upon a Time. Well, well, I mean, Once Upon a Time was after this, but I'm just saying it's the same sort of mindset <laughs> of let's make it completely different so it's like a new show and maybe we'll get new people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, watching. Um, but uh, so, Angie, uh, thoughts on the on the progression of the show? 
Yeah, I mean, I really love the examination of the same people in different circumstances. It's why I loved Orphan Black as well. So um, for me, the you know the soft reboots uh, were kind of part of the fun. Um, I didn't mind them at all up until um, season four. And, and season four, uh, I only got annoyed at the end, or rather, I got annoyed that it wasn't a new universe. I went mm. into the fourth season thinking that this was a totally new universe in the multiverse that Peter had gotten pulled to somehow, and they were going to have to get him back to his universe. And so the season was mm. going to be about, you know, Peter. Peter's effect on these people whose lives he wasn't involved in to begin with, which was interesting to me. When it turned out that they're all the same people, I kind of felt like, well, why did we, I mean, I enjoyed the ride, but why did we have the ride? Like we could have done, we could have done other stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so that, that bugged me, but in terms of just kind of seeing how, seeing how a fringe team where, um, you know, everyone has a relationship with, with each other, but without Peter and how that differed from season one was pretty cool for me. Mm. Um, season five, here's the thing about season five. Season five doesn't make any sense. I don't really like the, (laughs) I don't like the storyline as written, but I Mm. feel like as an emotionally satisfying end to this series, uh, it, kind of hit all of my emotional buttons. I was really, at the end of it, I was satisfied that I had seen it. I'm not going to lie. Mm. I don't know if I'm going to rewatch season five. I haven't decided yet um, mm. on this particular rewatch. Because um, Jen is right. It's a much different tone. It's way bleaker. Um, a lot of the joy is not there. Um, mm-hmm. But I do love the, I, I do love that, I love how it ends, I guess, even though it makes no sense how it got there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because going back in time and invading your past to escape, like, the world that you've destroyed... Well, is, and they could have done so much sense. with that, too, right? Because they've talked about they're one of many possible futures, so maybe the world was getting too far off track and they were afraid they weren't going to exist. Or You know, like, there's so many things that they could have done to maybe mm. make the invasion make more sense, just kind of being mm. hedonistic is like a weird motivation to to go back in time right no i agree with you because yeah if it had been more of a we're here to safeguard the future yeah and make sure that you but they were trying to wipe out the human race they were gonna like do that stuff to the atmosphere that was gonna like kill off humanity so it was like wait a minute then how do you even exist yeah. whereas in, in the earlier seasons it seemed like the observers are trying to guide them towards a purpose mm-hmm. and make sure that things followed some sort of set plan it's almost like they paradoxically got given this extra time but then ran out of time like it seemed like they were going for maybe there were multiple factions of observers and so the science team that we saw you know maybe had more cool tech and maybe was doing more of that where the, you had like the bureaucrats or whatever who were just like our planet's destroyed so we're gonna move to the past and like i like it seemed like they were kind of setting it up to explain why there was such a difference but they either didn't have time or didn't care enough i'm not really sure (laughs) yeah well and i mean it also frustrated me like the whole idea of peter was so important to them that they needed to make sure that at least one peter survived in the multiverse but then was like oh the thing we're gonna do now is to like eradicate him from existence Mm -hmm. and was like that didn't make a whole lot of because if you're trying to create like a set version of the future 
You can't just do it. I mean, I get the whole thing where they said, like, he ended up with the wrong Olivia, and that was a problem they needed to correct. But it was like, okay, then change things in a way that he ends up with the right Olivia. Don't, yeah. like, you know, like, try to eradicate him wholly from the universe. So there were a lot of things where it felt like the writers, like, were just changing, like, their ideas. And the, the problem is, you know, I mean, that's fine. I mean, you don't have to have just a rigid thing you know, a rigid storyline, because sometimes you come up with better ideas later, but you should at least explain the differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've already laid the, the, the directions earlier in the story, you've got to at least make it make sense why it's going in a different direction now. And that's the thing that we never got. We never got the explanations for the changes. Um, and they had done so well with that in, in previous seasons in terms of explaining why there were differences between the two realities. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that they just like threw up their hands and like whatever i mean it just <laughs> it was very disappointing no yeah and i mean i think there's some truth i mean angie you've mentioned to me before you, you're thinking that you know it was again them just trying to like save themselves from cancellation so they're just throwing a lot of things out there to just see what you know like resonated with people but i think that that's like one of those panic modes a show can get into where it's actually like works against them mm-hmm. instead of for them because if you're just throwing things out there like you're going to alienate your existing fan base and you're probably not going to like grab like a, a huge mm-hmm. yeah. new fan it was, base. I think it was Rock on so, a Hard Place yeah. too. They wrapped up this. They were wrapping up the series with season four. Like season five was a surprise to basically everybody, mm-hmm. and I feel like if they had known earlier, they might have actually had more continuity. <laughs> Because I feel like they already wrote everything yeah. and had filmed everything by the time they found out they were getting a season five, and then they had to figure out what the heck to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but like you say, I mean, at least at the end, like, the series, does, like, the fifth season, the end of the fifth season seems like a natural sort of ending point. Because at the end of the day, Walter can't just, you know, have, like, a happy ending because of all the stuff that he's done. And so, you know, there has to be some element of atonement to, you know, the way that you end the show with Walter. And so that made sense. And, but Olivia and Peter, who are, who's the couple that we followed through all this, they do get their happy ending. You know, they get to have their daughter back and they get to live in a world where the observers didn't invade and all of that. So, you know, that was, you know, I mean, that was good. Although the, the grieving over her death for half of, of a season was hard (laughs) i was not expecting her to die i was like oh okay she's our new like main character (laughs) but nope (laughs) anyway all right so let's talk about um uh uh anything that we wanted to talk about with the show but we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet so um let's start with you angie oh god uh i could talk okay i will keep this brief (laughs) Um, one thing I think we kind of sort of touched on and then kind of moved away from with the dropped threads, one thing I kind of respect about this show a lot is that that they really made an effort to set stuff up that would come back later, that would come up later. Um, and I think I forgive a lot of the dropped threads because I realized that's what they were doing. And so, you know, with the, um, you know, with the FBI agent, the the Meghan Markle character, you know, they were mm-hmm. setting something up there and it ended up getting dropped. And who knows why? It may very well be that, um, you know, they couldn't really fit it in. They were planning on bringing it back in season five or 
um, it, it was happening too far down the road and it ended up just kind of being a dangling thread. But I think, you know, like some of the things that they dropped very early on did come back and it felt like a nice like return to like somebody's thinking about this. A sit, unlike say once upon a time where you have to watch every episode as if it is its own contained story that has no association with any other episodes before or after it. <laughs> um, it seemed like it, it had these nice callbacks throughout the show that just made you feel like, you know, the, the writers also cared about what they were setting up. Mm. And coming on the heels of Lost, where it became very apparent that nobody was really planning that, it was a nice change. Yeah. Um, yeah, see, I mean, I'm ruined for all shows like this because I watched Babylon 5 at a fairly young oh, age. Sure. So it's, so it's <laughs> like any time, I always want a series to have more of a plan already preset than, it, than they do. I mean, very few shows have the level of planning that Babylon 5 did. So, you know, I always want it to be like, yeah, this reference in the first season, it comes up again in season five. And that was totally the plan, you know, and even J, you know, JMS like changed some things along the way. But in most cases, he explained within the narrative why the thing that we thought was going one way went another, or you know, made sure to to do a a, a sleight of hand thing where you were you didn't even know that that wasn't the plan, you know, from the beginning because he hid it so well, and it's only come out through interviews that he had a different plan before. So you know, I mean, that's you know. So again, I, I am kind of ruined for for most shows because I always want them to be a little more planned out. Um, it's okay. <laughs> All right, Beth. So, is there anything more about Fringe that you wanted to, to, you know, just another thing that you wanted to mention? I think I've covered everything I wanted to spew about. Okay, licorice. Yeah. Yeah. Check. Yeah. Okay. Red Jello. Red Jello. Check. Everybody tripping. Check. Yeah. All right. All right. Butt. Check. Oh God. All right, so Jack. That actually was on my mental checklist. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Um, Jen, um, uh, anything uh, else about Fringe we haven't talked about that you would want to talk about? No, I think it's uh, I, I think it was a great show, a great sort of successor to the X-Files tradition. Mm. And it really pushed the boundaries in a lot of neat ways. Um, and they had they had a great cast and they had some great writers. Uh, I just it's it's also just a, a cautionary tale of what happens if you don't have a plan. <laughs> because yeah. that that last season is just yeah. You talk about as a writer or as a mad scientist. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a cautionary tale on both. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, actually, uh, you just brought up something though uh, that we didn't mention is the fact that the show actually references the X Files, thus placing it within the same universe. So, and, and in fact, it also references Twin Peaks because he talks about my colleague Dr. Jacoby from Washington. State. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so so that was a neat thing, a neat little, like, uh, Easter egg kind of thing that they put into the show was, uh, you know, to sort of say, like, no, th this is not only a spiritual successor to the X-Files, but it is actually, you know, within the universe, a, yep. a successor to the X-Files. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, I guess, the only other thing that I'm going to say is, you know, as much... 
flack as J.J. Abrams gets. This is the second show of his that I've, you know, binge. I say binge, but not in the sense of I watched it in a month, but, you know, I watched five seasons within the span of, I don't know, maybe six months or whatever uh, that I've seen fairly recently. The one before that was Alias, which we watched a couple of years ago. Um, And, you know, I feel like he does a really good job of doing a compelling storyline. Sometimes things don't sync up like they're supposed to sometimes there's a lot of like dropped ideas along the way but i really really enjoyed alias and i really really enjoyed fringe um so you know it's one of those things where i feel like maybe long form storytelling (laughs) might might get him a little bit but i think he does a really good job of creating these very interesting premises and assembling good actors and and a cast together that that work really well together because alias is another show i could i mean god victor garbers and alias and all oh, that man i mean that's that's <laughs> now now actually now now i want to see victor garber and john noble in something um but <laughs> uh, oh yeah legends of tomorrow oh 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 but but stein was dead by the time they brought oh, in john noble so it. Yeah, yeah. So we never actually got them together. Yeah, we we actually didn't get them together, unfortunately. But anyway, hey, internet, let's make it happen. <laughs> this is your second mission for the night. Let's get on it. This but, is your homework. But yeah, yeah. yeah so so yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I really enjoyed the show. I guess is is the takeaway, and and it was a really great cast. Um. All right. So let's say our goodbyes. Um. And, uh, and let people know where they can find you online. So, uh, as usual, Angie, we'll start with you. Is it possible to find you online? No. <laughs> Have a nice night, everyone. All right. All right. Beth. <laughs> Why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? So long, farewell, au revoir, Zane. See, I felt the need to just start with that because of the way you were doing that. Anyway, okay. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, um... The page is called Mrs. Whiskers Studios. It's also the name of my Etsy store. Uh, you can follow my uh, cosplay hijinks and crafty goodness. Yeah, although we should probably say your store is on hold. For and, the moment, just and, because I borked my foot. Well, but it probably will be for a while, right? Because of all the costume work that you Backlogs are fun. Yeah. Yeah, but Nathan, how long is it going to take you to edit this? <laughs> yeah, so don't, don't, don't put that in stone. Okay. Internet stone. Okay, all right. Internet yeah. stone. Okay, I like yeah. that. All right. Um, I trademarked it. It's mine now. Okay. <laughs> Jen, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Uh, goodbye, everyone. Um, I am I am not quite as reclusive as Angie is, but uh, pretty darn close. Uh, I... I occasionally surface on facebook um i i have a twitter and i occasionally retweet things but really never say anything of substance so just just look for me on you know random eso podcasts from time to time yeah and we are always happy to have you why thank you you're welcome and yeah jen and angie and beth uh thank you so much for being on the show thanks for doing that and that's a wrap on our fringe episode We hope that you enjoyed it. You can let us know in a bunch of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another one is to go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can go to our website, 42cast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, or I guess X it's called now, X or Instagram at 42cast. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
I would say leave us a review on Stitcher, but since Stitcher is going away uh, only a few weeks after the time of this recording, and by the time this episode makes it to air, it will almost certainly be gone. I don't think that that will actually do us any good. But with Apple Podcasts, it really does help. The more reviews we get, the more likely we are to show up on searches. So if you have an Apple account, we'd really appreciate if you would rate us. You can also help out the show by going to the ESO Network Patreon. That's patreon.com slash ESO Network. You can help all the shows that are part of the network by doing that. There are a bunch of different tiers that you can find that give you different rewards, whether it's exclusive episodes, early episodes, or a whole exclusive ESO Network podcast. And you can find that by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network. And if you can contribute, we would definitely appreciate it. I am on two other podcasts, both of which are on hiatus right now, but I am really hoping by the end of August we'll be back. One of those is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are talking about all of Doctor Who from the beginning. You don't have to purchase the episodes to listen along with us, because we tell you everything important about the episodes that we're reviewing. So if you just want to hear us banner, if you want to learn a little more about Doctor Who, you can just listen to us at Time Streams. But of course, if you do have access to the episodes or want to buy them to watch along with us, or if you're streaming them from BritBox or anywhere else, that will definitely add more to the experience. You can also listen to Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I again, but also joined by Joe, Ashley, and Corey, are talking about all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. We rate what we're reviewing based on its quality, but we also talk about it in the context of the evolving Star Wars universe. So if that interests you, check out Legendary Forces. Beth and I just recently finished watching Cobra Kai, which is a surprisingly good show. Definitely recommend that, even though the writer's strike is, of course, going to mean that season six won't come out for a long time, uh, which is supposed to be the final season. Uh, Definitely looking forward to that when it does eventually come out. Otherwise, we're watching Clone Wars, we're watching My Adventures with Superman, another surprisingly good animated show. It's a little kiddie, it's a little cutesy, but if you like that sort of thing, it actually appeals far more than I thought it would, so definitely... (laughs) I definitely recommend giving that a try. Uh, right now we're watching Strange New Worlds also, and yeah, I think that's it for right now. But uh, yeah, continue to watch this space to get an update on what we're watching right now. But all right, I've been talking long enough, so that's a wrap for this week. Join us back next week when Bradley Cooper will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2023 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42 cast.com theme music is sharper swords by brandon ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the eso network has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.